Welcome to the penultimate day of March, the 89th day of the year, and officially known as either the 30th of March or March 30th. Either way, the year is marching along, and this is the 168th installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement, and I'm one of at least 168 Sean Tubbs in the world, but as far as I know, I'm the only one who hosts this program. If you know otherwise, please let me know. On today's show, we'll have some housing updates from the Regional Housing Partnership. University of Virginia President Jim Ryan kicks off the TomTom Foundation's Race and Equity Conference. The city of Charlottesville is advertising for a slew of management positions. Crescent Hall's renovation is moving forward with a date scheduled for a virtual kickoff. And we'll take a brief look at where we are in the pandemic. In today's Substack Fueled shout-out, Code for Charlottesville is seeking volunteers with tech, data, design, and research skills to work on community service projects. Founded in September of 2019, Code for Charlottesville has worked on projects with the Legal Aid Justice Center, the Charlottesville Fire Department, and the Charlottesville Office of Human Rights. Visit the Code for Charlottesville website to learn more, including details on three projects that are underway. Today marks the beginning of the TomTom Foundation's Race and Equity Conference, which is a pay-what-you-can virtual event that seeks to explore the intersection of workplace and community. The title of the multi-day series is From the Classroom to the Board and is intended to address income disparities in the community. The conference website cites the latest report on family self-sufficiency from Ridge Schuyler of the Network to Work program at Piedmont Virginia Community College. Here's a blurb from the TomTown Foundation's website. In our hometown, Charlottesville, Virginia, 35% of black families do not currently earn enough money to meet their basic needs, compared to 14% of white families. Targeted interventions can help address this racial inequity, where its impact is most often felt, in our classrooms, boardrooms, and on the pathways in between. University of Virginia President Jim Ryan kicked off the event this morning. As we focus on rebuilding communities, especially after the COVID-19 pandemic, innovation and collaboration remain critically important, especially around issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Ryan said efforts to improve the overall community are underway, and that the Classroom to Boardroom Conference will provide highlights. Throughout this week, you'll hear from local and national leaders on their experiences and perspectives. One of those national leaders is Simone Sanders, who served as press secretary to U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders during his 2016 presidential campaign, before becoming spokesperson for Vice President Kamala Harris. Simone Sanders was the keynote conversation this morning. She was asked to speak about some of the challenges and barriers that she has experienced as a black woman. I think we can all identify um, with the isms. And Donna Brazile, uh, a good mentor of mine, a former chair of the Democratic National Committee and former CNN political commentator. Donna Brazile was political commentating before people had jobs as political commentators. She's one of the OG commentators out there. She said something to me that I will never forget. And I'm going to share it with you now because I think it, it, is the, it is the best encapsulation of the answer to your question. She said, you know, Simone, racism, sexism, ageism are not going anywhere tomorrow. We have to work to eradicate it. We have to call it out when we see it. We have to combat it every single day. We have to push 
to make people and places and spaces better and for us, but we also have to figure out how to navigate through it. The event continues this afternoon with two more panel discussions. At 1 p.m., the topic is Ascension, joining together to rewrite the code, and will be a discussion of the social fabric required for art and community to grow, featuring Sahara Clemens, William Jones, and Lisa Woolfork. This is moderated by Sarad Davenport. At 3 p.m., the topic is The Transformative Value of Diversity and Inclusion and is moderated by Mary Coleman, the Executive Director of The City of Promise. Visit the TomTom Foundation's site to learn more and register for the Pay As You Can event, which runs through April 8th. A groundbreaking date has been announced for the renovation of Crescent Halls. The Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority will hold a virtual renovation kickoff celebration at 4 p.m. on April 14th. The skeleton of the building will be preserved, but all of the residential units, building systems, underground infrastructure, common areas, exterior spaces, parking areas will be as new. That's according to a description of the renovations on the CRHA website. For more information on the project, read a four-page design overview produced by the Public Housing Association of Residents, or FAR. Last October, City Council approved a performance agreement that will be used by the CRHA's redevelopment nonprofit to govern how $3 million in city capital funds will be used for Crescent Halls and the first phase of South 1st Street. Groundbreaking for the latter took place on March 7th. The CRHA Board of Commissioners will hold a work session tonight at 5 p.m., at which they are expected to adopt a budget for fiscal year 22. Following that, the CRHA's Safety Committee will meet. Do you or someone you know want the chance to be Charlottesville's next Director of Neighborhood Development Services? The city is taking applications through April 2nd for the position, for which a vacancy was created when Alex Ikafuna was demoted to deputy director in February of 2020. The ideal candidate must have experience and knowledge with all aspects of planning and development operations and a proven track record in managing a complex organization while demonstrating the ability to work with many stakeholders in a highly engaged community. That's according to the application for the job, which has a salary range between $100,000 and $150,000 a year. The NDS director is not the only position that is open. The city attorney, the director of social services, the office of human rights manager, and the deputy city manager for operations positions are all available. Here's a line that runs throughout each of those applications. Recent retirements, natural attrition, and newly created positions of several key leadership posts have positioned the city to be able to make a major organizational cultural change in serving our community and meeting the contemporary needs of our governmental staff. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. In this subscriber-supported public service announcement, the days of live music are in our future. But if you feel safe and want to check out people playing together in a safe environment, like a winery outdoors, the Charlottesville Jazz Society has a running list of events coming up on their website. The Charlottesville Jazz Society is dedicated to the promotion, preservation, and perpetuation of all jazz. Check them out in a link in the newsletter.
The Central Virginia Regional Housing Partnership met earlier this month and got updates on various initiatives that are underway. One of them involves helping outlying communities write policies for ensuring the existence of housing affordable to people with lower incomes. Christine Jacobs is the interim director of the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission. We are creating a draft comprehensive plan chapter for each of the jurisdictions within the Planning District Commission, City of Charlottesville, Albemarle, Fluvanna, Green, Louisa, and Nelson. Jacob said there will also be a chapter in the regional plan that offers strategies on how the localities can work together to increase the overall supply of housing. We now have a draft of all six of the locality chapters. We have been working directly with staff specifically in Albemarle and Charlottesville since they have been doing so much work on their end with their affordable housing plans. Jacobs said the regional plan will also include a map which shows the areas in each locality where zoning exists for multifamily buildings and other dense residential uses. A draft of the regional plan will come to the RHP's executive committee in May and will come to the full Regional Housing Partnership Board in June. The plans will be presented to localities in the summer and go to the TJPDC board in August. Albemarle County's housing plan next goes to the Albemarle Planning Commission in May. Charlottesville City Council endorsed an affordable housing strategy earlier this month. Basically, we're taking their very large plan and condensing it into our chapter so that they are a part of this entire regional plan. Albemarle Supervisor Diantha McKeel asked where the University of Virginia's housing plan fits into the region. On March 10, 2020, UVA announced a 10-year plan to build up to 1,500 units on land currently owned by UVA or its real estate foundation. Colette Sheehy, Senior Vice President for Operations and Government Relations at UVA, gave an update. We um, did a solicitation and we have hired a consultant to help us. Her name is Gina Merritt. Merritt is with Northern Real Estate Urban Ventures. This is not a consultant who will build affordable housing for us. This is a consultant to guide the university through the process to get to the point where we would do an RFP to developers, to the developer community, to build affordable housing. Sheehy said UVA's main contribution will come in the form of land and that a community engagement process is being developed now. During the meeting, members of the RHP were asked to give a value proposition for the body. Jacobs went first with her thoughts. I think by having a regional body that's looking at this issue comprehensively, how it relates to transit and transportation, how it relates to equity, health, um, I I think we put ourselves in a position, so for example, to um, be considered to administer the emergency rent and mortgage relief program. Architect Greg Powell went next. This is a regional crisis. It affects all of us. This is the only group that I'm aware of that brings together all of us that are impacted by and can positively resolve this problem. I think there's incredible value to have the private sector interfacing with the municipalities, interfacing with the not-for-profits, interfacing with the institutions. Chris Henry of the Stony Point Development Group followed. 
you know, we're, we're one community and this, uh, this group represents that community and how we come together to solve that problem. So I think that's kind of the fundamental essence of the regional housing partnership. RHP Chair Keith Smith of Fluvanna County said he has been discussing the possibility of bringing Augusta County and Waynesboro into the group. The TJPDC has worked with the Central Shenandoah Planning District Commission on planning for a transit route now known as the Afton Express. Charlottesville City Councilor Lloyd Snook played off of that theme. A value of doing this regional housing partnership through TJPDC also ties in with the regional transit partnership. I've always said these days affordable housing for the Charlottesville market is in Waynesboro or in Buckingham County. Uh, It's not in Charlottesville. It's really not even in Albemarle very much. City Councilor Michael Payne agreed. There's really only been one project uh, since I've been on council that council hasn't approved greater density than what's allowed by right. So I I definitely agree that's something that um, is going to need to happen regionally because the supply side solutions, if only Charlottesville is doing supply side solutions, it's going to have a much smaller impact than regionally. We'll have more on housing in future installments of the program. Before we go today, a brief update on the pandemic. The number of new cases reported each day by the Virginia Department of Health remains steady, even as the number of vaccinations each day continues to increase. Today, there are another 1,432 new cases, and the percent positivity rate is at 5.8%. Last week, that metric was at 5.6%. Over 1.3 million Virginians are now fully vaccinated, or 15.5% of the total population. The seven-day average for doses administered per day is 61,681 a day. Yesterday, the Blue Ridge Health District announced it would receive 1,500 first doses and 1,000 second doses of Moderna, 2,340 Pfizer first doses, and 4,000 Johnson & Johnson doses. That does not include allocations that now go directly to the UVA hospital. The announcement also stated that the health district is not yet able to expand to phase 1C. Unfortunately, our supply of COVID-19 vaccines remains limited this week, despite our numerous requests for an increase in supply. We are unable to meet the demand for the number of people in our district who currently qualify for a vaccine. Take a look at the Blue Ridge Health District's Facebook page to learn more. And we'll be back to this topic in another installment. And that's it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement for March 30th, 2021. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. I need to get going on to the next thing to record. So really quickly, if you have benefited from this program, the most important thing you can do today is to send it on to somebody you think might want to hear it. Heck, send it on to somebody you think might not even want to hear it or read it. The whole goal here is to expand the audience so I can continue to bring this to you as often as I can. And uh, so I want to thank you for listening, and I'll be back in the future tomorrow with another installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. Please stay safe out there before it gets cold again.